Welcome to World Changers, a podcast exploring the trends making an enduring mark on our world of work and how business leaders, HR teams and internal communicators can stay one step ahead. Never before have we leaned so heavily on technology to recreate the workplace experience. As many of us face into more months of remote working, the communities we build online are more essential than ever. Not just for collaboration and getting the job done, but also for connection. Although it's a simulation of social norms, for many of us, it's a lifeline. But in moving from the quick fix panic of the first lockdown to an embedded working from home practice, how can we make sure we're setting up our online communities to promote healthy interaction? Who's responsible for maintaining or monitoring them? And what's the long-term impact of working in this way? Our head of digital, Tony Stewart, chose this theme as his world changer for our 2021 report. Another senior writer, JC Lamerton, got together, albeit virtually, with me and Tony to chat about nurturing our networks. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. It's so good to see you both and have you here. Um, so I guess let's get let's set a bit of context then, Tony. So what's the kind of current online networks landscape like right now? Is it a wild, wild west or are we starting to see a bit more structure? Yeah, so I'm to be honest, I'm really glad that Jacey's joined us today because we had some really amazing discussions when we were putting the article together. Um, and JC really helped bring the article to life. So big heads, like hats off to JC. Thank you um, for making the article sing as it does. And thank you for joining us today. Because um, I know you've got a lot to say on the subject as well. Um, in terms of the structure of the Wild West situation, um, I would say that it kind of differs really very much client to client. Um, there are different stages of a digital journey. And really when it comes to creating online spaces, community spaces, or safe spaces for their, for their employees, they're definitely a little bit all over the place. And that's fine, that's that's to be expected, you know, as people kind of grapple with digital in different ways. Um, some of them are making the most of incumbent platforms like Yammer or Slack. Some have kind of developed, you know, shadow IT culture, so they're using WhatsApp on the down low, or they're using Facebook groups to connect their workers. Um, some are just on the lookout for a new tool and dare I say it, a silver bullet to take all the pain away and just hope that they'll kind of throw a lot of money at, at Facebook, get workplace, turn it all on and it all just suddenly work. You know, there, there are definitely different kind of stages out there. But what I'd say is there's definitely more of an, an appetite for structure and to do things properly this time um, because people have been stung by projects, uh, enterprise social networks or employee online networks in the past that haven't quite delivered on what they want and they realize that the, the lack of structure has definitely been holding them back and then the very sudden drastic move to home working for pretty much anyone desk-based has naturally got comms and IT departments kind of uh, sitting up and thinking oh we really need to start taking this seriously but the thing is is that's not going to be enough the structure isn't enough the structure helps us roll these platforms out and it helps us create kind of something of a bit of a foundation but then there's that ongoing commitment to these communities as well. You don't just switch them on with the right governance in place, with the right advocacy network, with your leaders on board, and then they suddenly just become big thriving communities, you know? I kind of like it. It's not, it's not enough to build a coffee shop and just expect people to turn up and help themselves to coffee and leave some cash in a pot on the side of a desk. You know, you're creating this space, you're creating this virtual space, but you need staff in there. You need people to greet people, to make them feel welcome, to make them feel safe, to say it's okay to talk about this, that, or whatever. You know, have a word to the rude customers, 
setting a tone for the place, you know, making sure people feel comfortable, you know, so and that's and that's really what the, the article in World Changes was all about is that community management, having someone who sets the tone, who leads by example. Josie, um, I've definitely got some thoughts on that, but I'm just wondering, have you got anything to chip in there? I think it's really important to think about that governance up front and how you're going to run it. It sounds a bit awful when you're talking about something that's supposed to be warm and welcoming it sounds horrible to think about putting rules and guidance and governance and parameters and all sorts of big words around it but we you know as we know from from general social media people just do behave in different ways online so I think we need to say what what it should look like to make that clear to people up front and what it's for what its purpose is which will help people to understand how to use it. I I totally agree and I think almost the the kind of saddest situation is where you've got one of these social networks and actually it's it's so little used and people just go oh it's just not for me I don't get it that it suddenly kind of goes fallow and it dies and people stop engaging in it and then you think well where else am I supposed to tell you about stuff like how how else am I going to do this you don't read your emails you maybe turn up to meetings it's really tricky isn't it What are the typical pitfalls you see internal comms teams facing when it comes to launching or maintaining online communities? Pitfalls, I would say often it can be a case of where we'll see kind of little pockets of success and people kind of think that's enough. You'll have, you know, Steve sets up a runners network and people are like piling in there and Steve's very good at running his running network and he's got like inspirational posts in there and new routes and things that people can do in technology, like running technology and whatnot. And people think, oh wow, like Steve's created this really great runners group. Um, that's it. We're doing we're doing enterprise social networks well. But that's just like a, like a one percenter. You know, there are other other opportunities for those kind of behaviours to be replicated again and again and again. But what we do is rely on Steve's to create them. We think that a responsibility to create online communities is down to these like pockets of advocates or people that get it right. But actually, there should be someone sitting above that making sure that the entire network is benefiting from that kind of steve's expertise because you know steve's thinking locally he's thinking about his network but there should always be someone above that looking at the network as a whole and i think the pitfalls is when you have a few of these steve groups which is now a thing i just made up um the runners network the lgbtq network the sales team the marketing inspiration network we maybe have like say 10 groups like that that are doing the do and we think we've done it and actually you could be having a hundred groups like that, all communicating, collaborating, getting things done. But without that that lead, that 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 community manager role, they're, they're often not not created. This is interesting to me how you say like you could have a hundred groups like that. Should that strike fear into the heart of any community manager? What would they what would they really do with that that information? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I can see why the the volume of that might be scary. But if those hundred groups are adding value, if they're spaces where people are getting conversations, uh, or get, getting, getting work done, having uh, meaningful conversations, having meaningful discussions, then why not a thousand? If it's if it's supporting our bottom line, supporting our vision as a business, supporting our employees, connecting and feeling at home at, at work, then. Absolutely. You know, we, we wouldn't use the amount of emails sent every single day as a, as a record of success or, or, or failure. So I, I say keep creating groups. So long as you've got people looking after those groups and nurturing those groups and giving advice and support to the people that are trying to run those groups, then you're in a really good place. Can I chip in with a question, actually? It's my challenge, I suppose, to that, Tony, is 
if you've got somebody above that that's kind of managing it and doing all those good things and making those collaborations happen etc how though do you then remove the the idea in people's minds that it's kind of big corporate brother looking down on you and listening to your conversations that's the risk there I guess yeah yeah and that's all I mean that risk runs through any channel that's used at work so whether or not it's slack or yammer or email or even your work mobile there's always that feeling of like okay well maybe work this is this is all for big corporate you know machine and and work can listen in that 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 is something that, that exists and actually I was, I was just speaking to my friends you know people are messaging me today about moving our whatsapp conversations to telegraph because facebook are going to be listening in and i'm like well you're all using instagram posting <laughs> posting like selfies so they already got you so you know there's there's that is a concern that is definitely on people's minds but at the same time if we are going to use corporate software to collaborate and communicate with each other um then there's going to have to be a little bit of kind of intrinsic trust and and uh, in that i guess yeah. Josie, i'm going to throw that question back a little bit to you as well and i'm thinking about um tone of voice right so when you've got you, there's a certain there's a certain structure and the way that kind of businesses speak but we all know the best way to kind of give it some oomph is to really think about and play with tone of voice and the best posts that I see even on our internal social networks are usually not by you know managers they're usually by like individuals that share their own kind of way of speaking and and what do you think anyway JC? Oh absolutely yeah there's I can I can think of some specific examples at our place where often it's the more it's the, actually the most junior members of staff that have the uh, the most impressive um, kind of presence on those channels and it's just lovely to read that and and it I think that's one of the great things about it really is you know all things all digital tools bring with them that democratization of voice and that's something that we've really found haven't we in the in the last 12 months with moving on to zoom you know when we're all just little squares and I think that tone of voice yeah that's something that we need that needs to be thought about in the when we're setting out the governance right at the beginning and it doesn't necessarily have to be spelled out but we want it to be a kind of channel that, you know it's it's the it's the chatting to people across the table it's the informal meeting meetings that you might have that aren't in the boardroom and it's that tone that you want to recreate and I guess instead of spelling it out you just do it by um, setting an example and so you you have your team that are leading it your IC team that are leading it and then get your leaders and managers to join in giving that same good example and then I guess then hopefully it all becomes self-policing and self-fulfilling and I think that's that's exactly where again that community manager role is so important because what a community manager can do having that overarching eye across the community is identify those really key pockets of vulnerability tone of voice the kind of style of conversation that people are having essentially looking at pockets of culture organizational culture within those communities and showcasing that and saying actually this is a really good example of an exchange um, in our business and 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 showcasing that to the businesses of this is what we could be doing with this network more because what again what can sometimes happen if you think of Steve and his runners group maybe they have a fantastic tone of voice in there and it's, and it's chatty and accessible and safe and conversational we then 
use that, a community manager will identify that, see that good example, and will start to promote that into the organization. Hey, have you seen Steve Travelers Group? And by showcasing the best of the network, you also tell the network, this is how we use this network. This is how things are done here. And we want you to be like this too. Um, or we want you to use the platform like this too, should I say. And that's, that I think can be really powerful in terms of your, you know, governance, you know, you know, and, and your education around how the platforms can be can be better used. Um, but that again only comes from a community manager that's looking for those examples because they don't often. Steve wouldn't often promote the tone of voice of his network himself. He's more interested in members in his runners network, right? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you think of a, a community manager's kind of job description, would you ever see that vital skill really called out in there? I'm not so sure whether you would, but actually it's so important to like read the virtual room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be, be the Peggy Mitchell, right, in the bar, read the room, encourage those kind of behaviours, the conversations that you want to see, you know, boot people out if they're not not behaving or not boot them out but you know what i mean like have a have a word with them but just generally kind of foster that sense of unity and and a good community manager will get that and understand that but it's it's seen as such a soft skill that like you say you often wouldn't see it on a job description but it's it's essential actually for a good community manager and we see that in the localized community managers that create these these groups one thing that all these all the successful groups in your enterprise social network will have in common is that they're friendly, engaged, conversational places to be. And that comes from personality, that comes from human behaviour, that comes from niceness, which we don't often see in job descriptions, right? But I think with that skill, you know, that when you think about it like that, that community manager job is a really, it's a really impressive mix of skills for somebody to do that right, because it's quite a, it's quite a tightrope to walk, isn't it? It's like, you've got to have that, those listening skills, and the talking skills or the communication skills, it's got to come in and out. And then you know, we talked a bit about how that those networks can benefit the wider business. So spotting the opportunities to pick up what's being said, now, especially now we can't, you know, managers can't walk the floor and see what's happening. But they're, so, so those community managers are going to be the people that are listening out for those opportunities. And they're not opportunities to go and tell tales. They should be opportunities to go and say, look, everybody's saying this, you know, we need a bit of comms around this. Or when we position comms around that next thing, bear in mind that they're saying this, you know, and, and then position it accordingly. And it could be, you know, hugely valuable, but that takes quite a special person, I think. Uh, definitely diamonds in the rough it's definitely a very broad skill set but it's so important <laughs> and especially when you've got a large you know larger networks or networks that we, we we see you know that are supporting you know 50 100 150,000 plus employees and yet you've got nobody in there walking the floor to as you say Jace kind of looking around making sure that people are are having meaningful conversations and getting value out of the network. Like it's it's crazy to me to think that actually those exist out there when we do see them, you know, within within our clients and outside. And and the resource I think sometimes the argument as well is, oh, we you know, employing a community cap manager is expensive or it's a lot of extra resource. And and then you know you compare that to the price that some people are paying to to install these networks and it's actually nothing in comparison, you know. So it's and, and often even just building out some of the internal comms goals and objectives or in like a, in a performance review, you know, the things that you're measured on at the, at the end of the year, just building in a few community manager threads into an existing role 
you know, just make sure that somebody's keeping an eye on things, if nothing else. Again, it doesn't really take an awful lot of, of change or resource, but the, uh, the benefits certainly now can be, you know, they're, they're infinite. And I guess, actually, we've talked a little bit about power and influence here, right? And the community manager has more power and influence than probably their job title or, or probably even pay grade deserves, right? But they can't split themselves in a million pieces. So I did want to touch on citizen journalism and kind of self-initiated content where, you know, the kind of the people on the ground are out there taking the videos of what's happening. And we see it in, in real world journalism, right, where you know, the BBC or or whatever news platform will will take some um, self-recorded footage from someone else and put it into their news because it's so important they were there on the moment in that day. How do we how do we give people in organisations the freedom, I suppose, to do that with while walking that fine line of what's appropriate for business? We just had this conversation with one of our clients, actually. It was really interesting because they were keen to do much more of it, which I'm a big fan of. You know, we, we should be doing that anyway. The, the best I see... Um, managers or directors I speak to will will always in conversation say to me oh I'll call the guy there I'll, I'll call that woman I know that that works there you know they've got those champions they've got those relationships all over the place and it's only just a, a virtual version of that really um they you know pop down to the to the post room and up to the top floor as well you've got to be able to go between all of them right but yeah we were having that conversation with a client and they're so keen to do more of that that they want to kind of formalize the incentive to do that for people um, so to bring that into their development plan that get, get giving them those tools skills um, whatever it needs to do more of that and the time as well you know authorize the time with their managers that, that it's okay to do that and to get them out once we're allowed out of our homes and offices you know to get them traveling to other places you know especially for global companies to give them that perk of of going to a, a different territory and see how they do things there. I think it's fantastic. And, and surely creating better communicators within any organisation is going to be a good thing. It's, it's funny because it's come up twice now in terms of how, how to formalise these roles a little bit more. So you talk about, you know, get it in their job description or get it into their performance review. Make it a thing to, to give them permission, explicit permission to go out there and ask questions, create content, bring it back into the organization and, and share it. And even before, you know, we can travel, giving someone the permission to contact the local hubs and resources and create that content and ask them, can you do a selfie video talking about how this has impacted blah, 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 blah. Um, all it does is help create better content and better understanding of our businesses, right? And you know, the, the very best of it, right, the cream of the crop, you can even, elevate to external. I've seen some great examples of John Lewis where their people are all of a sudden becoming real advocates on Instagram and kind of doing reels and little IGTVs and they're, they're pulling out the, their experts in their business. Um, but it, it just builds and grows and, and builds that advocacy and helps people kind of peer behind the curtain of John Lewis and, and see what it's really like. You've got kind of the the less branded, less slick, but still quite cool and interesting and behind the scenes peep. And it takes a bit of confidence to do that, for brands to allow that to happen. And that's something that we've seen this year. The, the uh, microsite that we did for Santander, um, was it, it was entirely open to the world to see. Um, so, you know, we've, we've kind of strayed off the communities now, I guess. But the reason that they did that was about creating that sense of community, even when the, a lot of their people have been put on furlough. Some people were still in branch and being worried about what that meant for them, being on the front line and facing the public every day. So I think 
you know, it definitely feels like the time for brands and businesses to to have that courage to say, yeah, that 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 inside outside line is is blurred now. Um, I did actually want to talk to you about writing for online then. So how can we how can we actually really crowdsource and tap into the very best of the online world? Um, without people getting that kind of post overload, there's too many messages from work fatigue. It's a fine balance to tread, I'm sure. But what do you think? I think it's really difficult at the moment. And I think we're all learning how to navigate this new way of working and this new space. And and it's going to be around, although, you know, things are going to change and hopefully get back a bit more to normal. It is going to be around, isn't it, for a little while or forever now. You can't put that genie back in that bottle. And I guess there's some responsibility on colleagues to manage what they the, the notifications that they get all the time and you know switch off or you know have quiet periods and that kind of thing but there's also a, a sort of onus on other people to, to, for how many posts they put on and maybe I feel like the right way of doing that is is for the group to discuss that amongst themselves and to you know, to look at that feedback because the one good thing about writing for digital is that you're getting feedback all the time you're getting physical like actual numbers that you can look at and you're looking at the interaction and you're looking at what kind of posts are they interacting with and what time of day are they interacting with those posts and you kind of can settle down into a rhythm hopefully that that suits people and just check in every so often and say you know does this feel too much how do you feel about it what you know what what should we be doing better I definitely remember kind of seen a swell of engagement round about the time that people would catch the bus or the tube home right where's that gone now where's that time where are people finding that where's the mood now are are people still taking that time it's funny because one observation is like for, for me it feels like internal comms is still stuck in a little bit of a broadcast world despite the fact that we have enterprise social networks and online communities but are much more focused on discussion and collaboration and two-way dialogue. But still, we're still broadcasting. And I think the element of user choice, when we look at how people interact with social media in their personal lives, you know, my Twitter feed is based on people that I want to follow and content that I want to see. My Instagram feed is based on people that I want to follow and the stuff that I find interesting. I have control over the, the content that I consume. I have choice. And we still haven't made that switch in internal communications yet. And I think the great opportunity that enterprise social networks give us is that we give power of control to our employees so they can follow the groups, they can follow the people and the things that interest them. And so in which case then, if we if we truly allow them to choose and navigate that, that choice themselves and empower them to do so, then we can just get on with making really shit hot content for those channels and they will lap it up because if they're interested in, in human resources or they're interested in our sales data or they're interested in our annual reports, then they will find that we just need to make sure that it's good stuff. And then we need to then make sure that we engage in conversations around them too. So I feel like if I'm, if I'm an employee and I'm following all the groups and the people that I'm interested in, then of course I'm going to open up the app, Slack, Workplace, Yammer, whatever it looks like to check it because I feel like I'm in control in the, in the content that I'm consuming. And of course, there's always going to be a time where internal comms need to broadcast and tell everyone the same thing. Certainly during COVID times, there's there's some really key stuff that we need to get out there. We're working with the NHS on, on various things and there's some really important stuff that they need to tell their people, right? But at the same time, by trusting our employees to navigate the choices themselves, we're going to empower them and make them feel much more connected 
and much more responsible for consuming that information because it's theirs. It's what they chose to see. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, how that plays out in terms of just thinking then about, you know, you're following those people on on Twitter or Instagram because there's a certain amount of subject matter interest, isn't there? So that's, you know, I need to know how to keep myself safe from COVID. I need to know what job I'm on today or whatever, those sort of things. But there's also that element of personality as well. And that, like we were saying before about the democratisation of digital, of where those personalities will pop up. And it's it's slightly it's a different skill to possibly to somebody who's really good in a town hall or really good in a press conference or just, you know, good at, at walking around and chatting to people. You might find those stars that people are following are in unexpected areas. And then I guess it's the job of the comms team to capitalise on that. Yeah. Yeah. We go back to that role of the community manager having eyes and ears on the ground and going, oh, wow there's that person over there that's talking an awful lot about their sales figures for some reason. Let's get in touch with them and talk to them about how we maybe create infographics or regular video bulletins or something from them, but they clearly have the personality to deliver this. This is something that often happens with a community manager. They'll identify those stars in the community, bring them to light. And then of course, then that's like a a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of you identify the stars, they get raised, they get a high profile, they get uh, more connected to the organisation, and then you start to identify other stars or other people start to replicate that behaviour because they see how rewarding it is. And thinking of inclusion, your quieter voices, your people who aren't confident to maybe speak up in a meeting can actually find their own space and kind of geek out a bit on on social. And it's it's a great space for them to do that. Love that. Absolutely. It's a fantastic source of stories as well, isn't it, Hel? Uh, you know, because people people don't necessarily know what a story is. They don't know how their story fits into your, your, your strategy or the behaviours that you're trying to promote or whatever. But you just spot them and you say, oh, my God, that's the most incredible example of that. You can you can find and unearth stuff that you never would have found out otherwise. Absolutely. And even when it comes to something that's maybe a darker side of the organisation that you didn't know about, but is happening to somebody out there and you can you can find stuff and you can you can pinpoint it. And that can even inform your communications going forward. So say you'd spotted, I don't know, some bullying culture online. You can start to address that in your communications. If you're if your CEO is brave enough to face into that, you can really, you know, get in there and, and do some really good work that will actually change the organisation. Yeah, these conversations will be happening anyway, at the water cooler, at the tea point, or in a private Zoom chat, at least if they're going on in your enterprise social network, you can see that it's happening and address it, right? Okay, thinking about 2021 and the year that's ahead then, what is exciting about online communities this year? And is there anything kind of more concerning to consider? I'm excited that there there are no more excuses. Oh, we're not doing digital. We like paper and pen here. We love email. It's great. Nah, <laughs> it's not going to run anymore. It's 2021. We've all, we're all working from home, or the majority of us are working from home, or trying to, you know, trying to work digitally and remotely. You, you, you already, you, you have a digital strategy, even if you don't know what it is yet. If that makes sense, you're already doing it. So um, there's little excuse in terms of that. So that's that's exciting to me. Um, my concern is that people might see these communities as ways to get them across COVID. 
and not see the intrinsic value of having online communities in their in their businesses going forward you know oh we need to connect everyone because they're physically out of the office and we can do that online and then afterwards oh we're all back in an office now so we can just like shut down those communities that would that would be a disaster and i think a lot of people will now start to see the benefit of both you know the best of both worlds the digital the digital workplace the digital office and the physical office um, and how these things can kind of blend conversations, collaboration across those those two places. Um, but that requires ongoing support. It requires ongoing nurturing and ongoing TLC, basically, from a community manager and a ongoing commitment and responsibility from the business as well. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> also, I suppose my concern lies with, with that, somewhere in that, there's no more excuses um, thing that you mentioned, which is fantastic. Um, because, you know, we get a lot of pushback from people saying that frontline workers are not digitally connected because they don't have, um, you know, a, a, a work phone or they don't sit at a desk or whatever. And so I do have a slight concern there that some people will fall through the gaps. You know, you can bet your life that those, that those guys on the frontline will have a Facebook account. That they'll be quite active on so i guess it's a question of tapping into that willing they'll be willing to do that um so it's making your communities enticing enough that that they're having that level of good conversation in there as well and i think that is around nurturing and i suppose the other concern that i have about it potentially is that the less literate or, or people who don't speak english as a first language or who might have um, literacy problems could potentially fall through the gap, which is where the the chat, 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 chat is fine, but we need to find other ways of presenting information and stuff that goes on those digital channels that's that's more visual, that's really simple, that's easy for people to understand if they're not um, not got the same kind of literacy skills as some of the others. And I think that's a that's a fantastic shout, Jace, in terms of also the contributions of an audience as well. So I might you know, I might be aware of my literary skills and therefore not comfortable to post in a work environment where my peers and colleagues will see it. But now we have a social network. I can record a video of myself and I feel much more comfortable or even a, a voice note. And I feel more comfortable speaking rather than typing or even like a, even, what I love about Enterprise Social Networks is the creative ways that we can express ourselves just opens up so much more and allows people that maybe aren't comfortable communicating using text-based medium. Emojis, go for it, you know, add emojis to your posts, GIFs, you know, memes. If that's how you, if that will help you communicate with your, your peers and colleagues, happy days, you know, we should be encouraging that, that as well. So, yeah, there's a, a kind of the opt because I always end the kind of the session more optimistically than just the concerns. And I think like there's so much opportunity here with these, com these communities and the ways that they allow us to communicate with each other, to create safe networks, safe communities where we feel like we belong is just massive. And I think it's well worth the investment in, in community management and nurturement. Nurturement, is that a word? Did I just make that up? <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> all millennial in that moment. I'm sorry. 
No, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel completely jazzed, I have to say, about online um, workspaces in 2021. I really feel like as well, so many clients are turning to us, um, turning to us in this space. And it's hopefully this has given people a few really good, helpful, positive ideas about um, how they can nurture their networks in the coming year. But um, thank you both, JC, Tony, for your time. Really appreciate it. Fascinating conversation. And it's been great to have you along. Workplace Community Technologies are a passion for Cape Forgione, CEO and founder of Customer Success Network. With a career that includes previous roles at Yammer and Microsoft, Kate knows what good looks like when it comes to building online communities that engage and inspire. Kate, welcome to World Changes. Thank you, Elle. Cool, nice to meet you. So, you are a firm advocate for community managers. I'm really interested to know why you think this role is so important and what kind of an impact can a community manager have when it comes to employee networks? So, community managers should be a key role in all companies and whether this is a customer community or for an employee community, ideally you have one of both. Um, There is a lot of value that comes from communities. To start with, there is employee engagement. The greatest communities are bottom-up as much as they are top-down broadcast channels that might be used by internal comms or human resources or or the exec. Communities give employees an equal voice. So, in fact, there's research by behavioural analytics provider Swoop Analytics that indicates communities also improve diversity in organisations by democratising communications uh, across and up and down the business. Scarlett Abbott's behavioural scientist Lindsay Kohler has explored how diverse categories of people have been marginalised by organisations during the pandemic. And so rather than investing less, companies should be investing more in tools and resources to ensure that employee voice is a way to open organisations up to new ideas and ways of working to retain these groups of people. While simultaneously becoming more resilient to the crazy external business challenges we have today. And this kind of brings me to the financial return of employee engagement. When built on a foundation of cross-silo collaboration, the community manages critical to supporting the development and growth of communities of practice to drive continual shared learning, innovation, scaling improvements across the organisation. This type of communication has a direct impact on the bottom line by eliminating waste, so via new processes or shorter development cycles, less duplication, earlier identification of errors, and and the list goes on. So if a company invests in a community, whether it's Slack or Yammer, Teams or Workplace, and these are kind of the main players in this space, which is why I mentioned them, um, it should not be seen as just another channel or an alternative to email. These are business critical tools to ensure that our businesses can become more responsive and also resilient to an ever-changing economic, social and political environment. And if that's the why, nurturing our enterprise communities via community management should be at the top of our agenda. It sounds like you've really built a business case for community networks. I guess building from that, can you help us understand how you build a business case for community managers when budgets are so stretched? Yeah, this is a difficult one. Um, And I think it's difficult with any sort of new resource investment that an organisation's making. But for a community manager role, um, I'd say the business case needs to be founded on the ROI of the technology investment. So if we go back to the value of the community manager, an approach could be, number one, build a case around employee engagement in remote working or hybrid working or 
across geographic companies. They're the really strong kind of use cases that uh, communities work well in. Um, there's plenty of research in this area on the impact of communities that have on organisation outcomes around people, such as employee engagement, retention and diversity. I, I will mention some thought leaders later on. So you go and have a look at their research. It's very strong in this area. Get support from within the business. Um, identify those communities of practice that are already existing and understand how they operate and the value that they are realising. Work with these managers to back your business case. So it's really important that the business says this is important as well as the internal comms team. And so you might want to extrapolate the value that these communities gain if they're kind of popped up here, they're everywhere, not as a sort of strategic effort. Extrapolate the value of these communities that they gain across your company based on the organisational side and geographic reach of your company. The third point I had was around competitor analysis. So connect with peers in your own industry and geography. Understand how they use community tools in their organisation, how they have engaged their executive around the value of these communities, which is kind of like maybe a fourth point is that executive sponsorship engagements are critical for long-term success, as well, of course, the funding of your company's community. So always working closely with the exec and aligning with organisation objectives will help you define the ROI in the context of what your company is trying to do. It sounds like you've got community managers working right the way across the business here, there and everywhere. So I guess it's imperative that they support collaborative working. Do you think they can have an impact on the bottom line? Yes, absolutely. Set up a plan for your community with goals and outcomes. Know the science behind communities or check out some of the great content from authors such as Dr. Lawrence Lockley or Simon Terry, who regularly publish research-led content. Um, and Finally, just always work with your exec to ensure the community is aligned with the organisational objectives. Lots of IC people now actually have a community manager line in their job title, but they're feeling pretty stretched at the moment, as I think we all are. What one or two things would you suggest that they kind of need to nail to get those basics right and nurture their employee networks? Yeah, so I think um, employee, being a community manager, if you don't have just a single role as a community manager in your organisation, it shouldn't really be seen as another thing on top of your job. So it's a mindset element to considering it as part of my responsibility of being a really great strategic internal comms advisor that you, regardless of your job title, you focus on collaboration and community being a central way to get work done at your company. So to give sort of one or two things, the tips would be work closely with the executive sponsor to set goals and outcomes for the community every three to six months. And this will even help engage your exec, who is also your buyer, into, into the right way and the, the things you're trying to achieve with your community. And this, the second, I think I sort of touched on in, in the first comment was commit to being a team effort, whether this is your extended internal comms team or with a group of champions across the business. Um, at Customer Success, Success Network, or we run a professional community, so a little bit different. We are powered 100% by volunteers. So we rely on a little um, often approach. This is where the key influencers jump in 10 minutes or so a day to ask a question, reply or like. And we just make sure that all the posts always have a response and that our intent around the community is achieved by these micro actions every single day. And what's the sort of feedback that you've been getting from, from your people with, with a team, so kind of a team of volunteers, no less, so dedicated to making sure they're keeping that community alive? And the feedback's amazing. People see the community as a central point to get the information they need quickly to get their job done um, and I think 
the little and often really approach really works because you create values and receive value really fast without feeling like it's an obligation. And I think one thing to be aware as an internal comms practitioner that if your community is less active today than it was a year ago, that's probably, I'd say in the pandemic environment, kind of normal because we're digitally saturated. So where we used to sit on the train or the, we used to look, sit on our phones quite a lot in our free time and we'd check our emails and we'd add a few comments and we'd, we'd scale our community networks. And I think I've certainly noticed that from the communities that I'm involved with, that they've decreased. And I think it's um, people have moved from mobile to web app and therefore there's less time spent in these communities than previously. And I think that if your community is less engaged, not to worry about it too much and think about your growth strategy coming out of the pandemic as hopefully life does return slightly to normal. Oh, that's completely fascinating. I mean, I've definitely started switching away from my phone more and more, but I, I never thought about that link back to employee networks. Hopefully this is a trend that won't continue, right? Yes, hopefully. <laughs> I think we, we, we all love Zoom, but not that much. <laughs> well, thinking about the people making the biggest impact in the world of work right now, Kate, who would you nominate as your 2021 world changer? This is a really easy question for me, um, and it's parents everywhere. I think um, there's no parent on any part of the planet right now whose lives haven't been significantly impacted by the last 12 months and whether it's family members who've been very ill or passed away, um, homeschooling, caring for elderly parents, worrying about elderly parents in aged care. I think there's been a lot on the shoulders of parents in the last 12 months and that uh, we are the custodians of the future generation, so we've had to manage, and I'm talking about we because it's probably you too, Elle, um, we've had to manage um, the like nurturing our children and, and preparing them for the future in a very difficult environment. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure talking to you, Kate. Thanks so much for making the time for me, and uh, I wish you a wonderful day. A pleasure. Thank you, Elle. Our huge thanks to all our contributors. If this episode got you thinking about how best to nurture your network, do come and chat to us over on Twitter at Scarlet Abbott or drop us an email at hello at scarletabbott.co.uk. We'll see you next time for another dive into World Changers 2021. World Changers is a podcast by employee engagement consultancy Scarlet Abbott, hosted by L. Bradley Cox. Find out more at scarletabbott.co.uk.